The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders in their organizations to identify the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on helping leaders innovate how they lead and transform their organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member in universities in the U.S. and Germany. I am broadcasting live from the Global Ties Conference, and I am delighted to have Rebecca Gyumi with me. Rebecca is a lawyer. She's the founder and executive director of Chana Initiative, Thank you. <laughs> which helps to empower girls through education. Through the petition she filed in 2016 at the High Court of Tanzania, Rebecca's victory in this landmark case meant raising the minimum age for marriage for both boys and girls to 18. Rebecca's worked for over eight years with Femina Heap. Yeah. A youth-focused behavior change and strategic communication organization as a TV presenter and youth advocate. Rebecca is involved in different campaigns and social charities as a volunteer and ambassador advocating for safe schools and quality education to Tanzanian girls. She works to achieve a changed society where citizens are involved in creating solutions for their own pressing problems. She's facilitated various national and international forums with focus on youth empowerment. So the show, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, is really focused on helping leaders understand where they are making need to make changes in their own lives in response to the changes we're facing in society. And I invited Rebecca specifically because she's a leader that I admire. So in some cases, we talk about processes or leading practices. I find Rebecca to be an inspiration, so I wanted to be able to have a conversation with her. And my hope with all of these interviews is that our listeners, whether you're an emerging leader or a senior leader, hear something that you can take away from our speakers or or our guests that you can try in your own lives. So what will Rebecca say that you can try to implement in your life, and how do you know if it's been successful? So Rebecca, thank you. First, if you would, and I I realize you don't talk about yourself a lot, (laughs) but talk about the award you won and how you got here. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Um, Well, in 2018, I was part of the uh, delegation that visited the United States of America under the IVLP program, which is the International Visitors Leadership Program. It's under the U.S. State Department. Okay. Yeah, and um, through that program, we were exposed to America, at you know, from community and people's perspective. Okay. So we got to visit uh, different states. So we started here in Washington, D.C. Then we went to New Mexico and... Um, Santa Fe. Yes, Santa Fe, <laughs> Albuquerque. Okay. Yeah, then uh, after that we flew to Houston, Texas. Okay. Then uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and we flew back home. And that was in a three-week period? Yes, okay. it was a three-week program. And from this program, I learned a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And the award that I got today was because of, you know, the things that I learned here, but also more or less the action 
that I took in the mm -hmm. country, mm -hmm. you know, in being a part of, you know, a change agent, mm -hmm. stimulating the change of legal framework around the issues of child marriage in my country. So it's an, it's an award that uh, was meant to honor IVLP alumni who is doing something uh, to change their society. Okay. Yes. So how did you implement this change? This seems mm -hmm. like a big change. Well, in a way, in a way it is, although I, 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 most of the time I like to say uh, this, the work is still uh, ongoing, you know, mm -hmm. but what we did uh, was, you know, challenging the Tanzania Marriage Act, okay. which in a way was allowing girls to be married at 14 years old, wow. while boys were allowed to marry from 18 years old. So we felt like, you know, it was creating discrimination mm -hmm. and in a way downplaying the dignity of young girls and more or less giving more power to parents to decide on the matters that, are, that we felt were very, like, you know, personal to young girls, especially if they want to continue with education. And the fact that, you know, this law was perpetrating a lot of child marriage incidents in my country and as it is child marriage is actually uh, a hindrance to girls' rights to education, health, and also opportunity. So in July last year, the High Court ruled in our favor and raised the minimum age to 18, and it also directed the government to have to change the law within one year. Okay. So currently, the process is, you know, to make sure that the bill is presented at the parliament and the parliamentarians also have a time to discuss around it and, you know, put relevant section that now will say 18 is the minimum age. And why does that matter? What, the change of the law? Mm -hmm. It matters because, you know, it, it, it was in a way a gap, you know. We had a lot of uh, campaigns around the country that were trying to sensitize uh, on the issue of child marriage, but, mm -hmm. you know, we also had like many cases at different court in my country which were trying to find or restore dignity to girls who are already married. And okay. as a result, because this law was present, these girls could not have, you know, like an opportunity to continue with their lives. And it, all, it was also a setback for a lot of campaigns because whenever you talk to people like, you know, marrying children is actually has an effect, so it's not a good thing, they always say like, you know, but the law allows, you know, mm -hmm. the law allows. So it was really like a setback to different campaigns that were happening and mm -hmm. we felt like we needed a bold commitment from the government in making sure that these uh, these acts of child marriage are ended. But maybe someone can actually ask why did you go to court? Uh, why didn't you like maybe sort other ways? You know? mm -hmm. So this law was even uh, mentioned in the government report in 1992. That so it was a, a long-term issue. It was a bad law, you know. Mm -hmm. So we have like more than 22 years and we had like different advocacy going on in the country mm -hmm. trying to sensitize and advocate for the government to the parliament to change this law. But we saw minimal progress and having seen firsthand how girls were affected by the issue of child marriage, I felt like we needed to do more mm -hmm. and we needed to, to take like an urgent uh, step this law. I felt maybe because sometimes if the law is touching on the country's revenue you know, income, maybe people will change that law faster, you know. Okay. But maybe the child marriage was something that they weren't really like close to their heart because it was really, it was not really close to their heart because the one were affected by child marriage maybe a little very far, you know. So I felt like we needed to act now. Mm -hmm. And that's why I petitioned to change the law. And, and so a lot of your work has been, you learned things in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and you went back and changed your own society. And that seems really important, mm -hmm. the idea that the Americans weren't coming to Tanzania, that Tanzanians were empowering themselves mm -hmm. to make the change. Mm -hmm. So how did what you learned in the program mm -hmm. help that happen or help you grow as a leader? Yeah, maybe first to just clear the air. It's not, it was not really like I came here and got an idea that I should go and change. Uh, right, yeah. Yeah, but it was more like, you know, I, I already had a, a conviction conviction within me even mm -hmm. before, and I was already involved okay. in my community. That's why um, even the embassy in Tanzania nominated me to come here. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, like, they connected me to people who are doing, like, similar things. Oh, got it. So you were yeah. involved in this advocacy already. probably well before. Exactly, yeah. Okay. So I came here, you know, to probably, like, 
for me it was more like exposure trying to okay. learn and get to see that you know something that you're working on you're not like alone mm-hmm. you know, there are so mm-hmm. many people and young people out there who mm-hmm. are probably doing the same thing but you know in their different issues that mm-hmm. are interesting in their community mm-hmm. so for me from this program it was sort of like reassuring mm-hmm. you know that you know youth have power youth have voice yeah. you know and you can really make a change in a community and i i still remember to date the group that i met in new mexico it was a youth group that okay. was advising the mayor in albuquerque and this is like a group of very young people but you know who really understand the issues and who kept on pressing the issues at the mm-hmm. table of decisions and i felt like you know in my country we needed to do that more you okay know, we were doing but i felt like i needed to do more you know so when i went back to my country i was doing but i felt like i need to do more mm-hmm. you know that reassurance you get you know when you meet someone who's like doing something mm-hmm. like but you know even like in a bigger scale so i felt like i needed to do more and i'll probably say i was inspired or probably say like sort of like an inspiration mm-hmm. <laughs> meeting other groups so what was there a specific thing or a couple of things that were most inspirational to you? Yeah, uh like the one the one I've just mentioned like the group in Albuquerque, mm-hmm. you know, the group mm-hmm. and same place also in New Mexico. I met with a group of women lawyers okay. who were fighting against gender-based violence, but to them it was more like Latinas. Okay. You know, and um that center to me spoke a lot about the issues of stereotype and gender equality that you know, it's not just an issue in African mm-hmm. continent mm-hmm. you know or some part of my communities mm-hmm. like an issue all over the world women are still struggling to have a voice women are still struggling to have like equal space to speak or just like prosper i met with you know stories of young women who you know like were just beaten just because they say you know i i feel this is not right mm-hmm. so like how dare you how could you say that you know so to me that was also one of like very classical example and uh, in Jacksonville I remember a group of young democrats and republicans mm-hmm. uh, who were like involved in politics at a very young age and i think mm-hmm. uh, it's something also to uh, learn maybe in our countries because sometimes we tend to think politics are for old people well and i was going to say yeah. it, it, so you're young for people who aren't haven't seen your yeah. picture how old are you i'm 29 Yeah. Okay and you you have as a 29 year old woman mm-hmm. in a country that doesn't always treat women equally changed a major law mm-hmm. with help I'm sure you this was part of a bigger initiative what would you suggest to people who think I can't do it I'm not old or I'm not an elected official or I'm not as credible as whoever those other people do change laws mm-hmm. I don't yeah What do you well, say? Well, what I'll say is, you know, everyone has uh, an opportunity to make a difference in wherever they are, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't have to think, you know, like I have to like change the law or save 10,000 people to make a mm-hmm. difference. Mm-hmm. You know, making a difference really starts from very small individual actions mm-hmm. that everyone can actually make in their own individual area and spaces. You know, that at the end of the day in addition, you know, it results like, you know, into a bigger picture of impact. Mm-hmm. in the community. So what I would like to, to I would like to say to them is you should probably start where you are. Mhm. Look at the pressing issues and opportunities that you have in your area and start where you are. And sometimes maybe you can think starting alone is difficult, then find people who are like like-minded, mm-hmm. you know, who are also very passionate about about the issue that you want to do and you can always start there because I will tell you for instance the case that I filed we didn't have a lot of support but you know I try to connect with people that I felt had a similar interest so for instance the advocate who represented me at the high court was the guy that I went to school with okay you know same class mm-hmm. you know okay, so another like, young guy yeah he was like let's do this you know so <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying so it can be like people who believe in you Mm-hmm. people who uh trust in your cause and people who are, who are like like minded start there and you'll mm-hmm. be amazed how that small thing can actually turn into like very very big big thing so this started with just you and your friend or classmate mm-hmm. and it turned into a national law yes. and then you're involved in the implementation yes so currently we are part of the Tanzania Ending Child Marriage Network okay a network of more than 32 uh, organizations 
this week I'm here, but back in my country, they are continuing with advocacy work with parliamentarians, mm -hmm. you know, to try to make sure that parliamentarians also understand and buy the concept and also understand uh, how important it is for them to make a good law as the bill is presented. Okay. So now we're involved more in the bigger picture, mm -hmm. you know, and we're also working with child brides mm. uh, in the regions that are most affected. We also got funds from the Foundation for Civil Society that uh, our work now is moving into the community. So okay. we are educating the community on the effects of child marriage and also the importance of investing in a girl child. Yeah. So that's what, what we are doing now. So this is a big change in the entire culture and power structure yes. between men and women and how women are seen in the world. Yes, and it, 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 it's, it was not easy and it's still not easy, you know, for mm. people to move. Some people, probably, it was not for people. We have people mm. who understand and some people still don't uh, easy thing to understand and accept. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, when I was even uh, challenging the law, I had like people who were like, how could you do that? Just from the fact that, you know, like, you are a young woman, you know, you're, like, how can you just come, you know. Don't you know your place. Exactly. So, um, those are, like, typical challenges, you know. Mm -hmm. You can never have uh, success without going through challenges. So, you take it, something that says you're doing the right thing differently. For real, uh, it just shows how much we still have a long way to go in terms of, you know, making sure that people understand that stereotype doesn't mm -hmm. have a place in this uh, mm -hmm. day's world and also trying to uh, create a more equal <laughs> community. Yeah. So you talked about the challenges and, and again I think it's such a natural thing to say you can do it but I couldn't or when I hit a barrier thinking well Rebecca didn't have that, hers was easy and I'm not sure why this is so hard but it sounds like you faced significant barriers. How did you get through those? Because there's a personal cost to this. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's not easy. I, I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't want to say and pretend that it was easy. It was not easy. Mm -hmm. But you know, the thing that kept me going, you know, was the fact that you know the cause was sort of like bigger than me. Okay. So whenever I thought about something that I wanted to bring, mm -hmm. and remember that time when I was having challenges, I did not have even won the case. So mm -hmm. I was not even sure if I'm going to win or not. Right, you know, it's easier right. now that I'm talking retrospective, like I've I mm -hmm. the case, mm -hmm. you know. I just had trust in what I, I was doing. You know, okay. I, I believed in what I was doing. And I think even important for me was uh, surrounding myself with people who were constantly, you know, like cheering me up. Mm -hmm. like, go on. Don't lose hope. You can do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think sometimes that's very important. Because if you just, like, isolate yourself, and mm -hmm. sometimes it can be difficult, you know, so mm -hmm. you need to also find that positive energy mm -hmm. and nature that, you know, and uh, turn it into your driving force okay. into achieving your bigger goal. It sounds like this was an important issue to you much of your life. So as a young girl, what caused you to pick this? Because in any society there are a lot, there are homeless yeah, people and exactly. hungry people and yeah. so why this? Well, to me, it's also very personal because, you know, I grew up in a sort of like very humble beginnings and um, my, my dad was a was, was very important uh, part in my life, but I've also seen my mom uh, taking a huge, a huge responsibility in raising us and taking us to school. You know, she'll probably starve and everything, but she'll just make sure that we all go to school and get an education. That and, was one. And school isn't free beyond seventh grade, right? Yeah, so at that time we were paying. Currently, they have, we have free education policy, but mm -hmm. before that, we were paying for education. So. You know, that was part of my motive. You know, like mm -hmm. I, I felt like I wish more people could be, I mean, I wish more women could have that impact mm -hmm. to their children, you know, mm -hmm. that one. But I've also seen myself after getting an education, I was like very different from many of the friends that I grew up with mm -hmm. and the ones who drop out for teenage pregnancy or like married well, in primary school. Because somehow. In primary school. Yes, Wow. Because that's for Tanzania, that's the age people are in prim primary school. We start at a very late age. Oh, so got people it. start standard one and when they are like six or seven. Mm -hmm. So it's typical when they're in standard seven, they'll be like 14 or 15. Okay. So I, I, I saw myself very different. You know, mm -hmm. I had more courage in saying what I want. 
mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. You know, I was more like confident in my dreams. Mm-hmm. I knew exactly what I wanted. Something that I saw was like very different from these other girls that were my friends. So to me, I felt like, you know, I needed to work more on ensuring that every girl understands mm-hmm. how powerful they are. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I tell you, it's also about understanding yourself. If you don't know that you're powerful, then you're not. You know, it starts within. Like you have right. to, <laughs> you have to yeah. nurture that energy. You know that I can do it. It's sort of like self-esteem. I can do it. Well, and if you yeah. live in a society that says you can't do <laughs> That's it. That's what I'm saying. So we need to reverse the narration. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we need to have more people who are telling girls you can. And so yeah. changing the law is a start. Exactly. And then I'm assuming there's a lot more work yes. to change the, the mindset. Yes. And also to change the prevailing norm of the way women are seen exactly. in the entire yes. community. So changing the law is just one. Uh, for instance, under the organization that I'm working with, uh, uh, founded in Suchana, we are working with girls, mm-hmm. you know, out and in, in school, you know, to build their resilience, life skills education, sexual mm-hmm. reproductive health and rights education, because they also need to know their body, you know, and sort of like have power on saying, mm-hmm. this is my body, don't touch it, you know, so mm-hmm. that is also very powerful. So we are working with girls in and out of school, and uh, we also have a project on menstrual hygiene. Um, because uh, in Tanzania we have some of the girls who, because of different uh, reasons, some miss school, I mean classes, yeah, yeah. or drop out completely. So it's an area that we're also working with. This is all in quest that, you know, at the end of the day, maybe we will be contributing to building the next generation of young women who understands themselves first mm-hmm. and who are able to stand on their dreams and say, this is something that I want. It's bigger than the voices that I hear outside, mm-hmm. you know, and really pursue that way. And so by getting married later, they get education. Exactly. They raise their children mm-hmm. different, yeah. a different perspective on health care exactly. and, and basic reproductive yeah. rights and freedoms. Yeah. There's actually a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. And even, I mean, if you look at the, uh, the national GDP, if, if women will be married at a later age, you know, and have this ripple effect, then meaning if it, you're even you're even dealing with the issue of poverty. That cycle mm-hmm. of poverty is reducing. Because know? they're working. They're working. They'll invest on their children. They'll make mm-hmm. sure they have proper nutrition. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, and they can yeah, afford proper exactly. nutrition if they, have, yes. if they can work. So that cycle of poverty is the bigger picture that I wish everyone, everybody mm-hmm. would be seeing and talking about. Yeah. So I just want to, again, thank you for being a role model as a young woman in a country where not all women get educated. Not all women are have basic hygiene products. Mm-hmm. And so for listeners who may have grown up in a very different context, it's hard to even imagine what you went through to make this possible. And so just deep admiration. Mm-hmm. And do you have any closing advice mm-hmm. for people listening mm-hmm who are inspired and, and want to contribute? I think for uh, everyone who is listening, um, I'll probably say, it's not like, I don't want to be uh, offensive or anything, but I'm just saying sometimes, you know, privilege can be blinding, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, so you need maybe to go out more and <laughs> like see people from a different perspective. But I mm-hmm. think um, there is a chance to work with uh, the initiatives that are already working with people that need more empowerment of mm-hmm. this day. And Mr. China Initiative can definitely be one of those initiatives. We have like ongoing projects that are on a donation basis. Mm -hmm. And I would really encourage like everyone, if you have time, visit our website. It's www.msichana.org.tz. And there you can actually get to learn more on what we do. But also if possible, you can contact us if you want to contribute. And contribution doesn't have to be monetary. You know, people have knowledge, people have materials, <laughs> people have a way to say, you know, like, how can I better your communication strategy so you can reach more girls? Okay. You know, that kind of yeah. help, you know? So it's, don't just think of money, but, you know, how you can support initiatives that are working so they can work better and reach more people. I think uh, in the world that we're living right now, uh, we shouldn't have an excuse of not bringing a smile to another person. Mm-hmm. There's always a chance. Look for it. Rebecca, thank you. You are such <laughs> an inspiration, so and I thank really you appreciate so you <laughs> taking time to share your story with our listeners. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. And we are talking from the Global Ties Conference to Yasmin Hasnoe. Yasmin is a PhD researcher on conflict resolution, Sahara conflict. She's the president of the Advisory Council for International Associates to Global Ties US and the board member of the Moroccan Institute for International Relations. She's participated at the United Nations sessions about the Sahara conflict, and she's a recipient of the USAID Award for Promoting Moroccan Culture in U.S. Universities. She's accumulated over 15 years of professional experience in the fields of communication, education, international cooperation, and civil society, during which she's established a portfolio of contacts, both on the national and international level. So this show is really focusing on younger and amazingly successful professionals in the global arena. And we want to highlight for emerging leaders the things that are possible by talking to someone who's accomplished so much already in her career. So, Yasmin, thank you for joining us. Do you want to give any more on your background? Thank you for having me uh, as a guest in your talk show, Maureen. I appreciate that. Uh, And I think we need more talk shows like this because there are like many leaders all over the world and, you know, especially like third world countries that they need, developing countries that they need to be heard. So I think it's a great thing what you're doing to reach out to other parts of the world. So I'm I'm, I'm good with what you said. Um, So apart from me loving traveling and and working on exchange and cultural understanding between countries, not only the United States, but other countries. So let's start early in your career. You've accomplished so much. How did you get here? Like, did you come from a family of privilege and this was just what you were preordained to do? Or did you come from uh, just a normal family? Um, actually, I, I come from a very, very modest family of four children. I went to public schools in Morocco, free public school because education is free in Morocco. But I'm, I'm from, from a very modest background, but it's all about, you know, when you, it's all about when you're inspired by people, and I was inspired more by my mother. My mother is a teacher of English, and she's, she was a source of inspiration for me since I was young, and the proof is that when I was, when I got my BA, I became a teacher like her. So then she kept pushing me and, you know, telling me, you know, I have to travel abroad, you have to meet with people. So whenever she sees like announcements on newspapers or a scholarship, etc., she she brought it to me. She wanted to, she wanted me to not only stay in Morocco, but expand my knowledge overseas and learn from the others. So basically it was, it was my mom who inspired me a lot in my life. And of course my dad, but I was more inspired by my mom 
and my dad. My dad was spoiling me, but my mom was kind of, <laughs> you know, just uh, pushing me and telling me you have to go at the age of like 20, 21. She said that you have to go and, and rely on myself and not rely on her financially, etc. So she was kind of a pusher, she was kind of a positive source to me. So, yeah. And, you know, she, she was, she's, uh, and also, like, in my life, I met a lot of mentors, you know, let me put it this way. In every stage of my life, I was teaching uh, for more than 10 years, then I changed my career completely, moved from teaching to international relations and working with international organizations. Also, during this time, during the transition of my career, I met another person who inspired me as well, to be where I am now, he kept like recommending me and he saw that I can do things. I can do things, so he kept just pushing me again and again. So it's all about who you meet in your life, you know, in the walk of your life, it's about who you meet. And those two people were were source of inspiration for me to be where I am and also there is perseverance and you have to love what you do. So I love teaching and I love talking about my country overseas and I love the cause, the national cause, which is something I've been working on for many, many years. So it's all about the way you love things and how you, you would like to see them progressing. That's wonderful. So it sounds like the combination of people believing in you and supporting you, but also your perseverance and finding a mentor and continuing to seek to grow, my guess is... Absolutely, absolutely. Curiosity and a passion for learning. Curiosity too, and also because you you don't want to stagnate. You know, I felt myself like, I don't want to stay in one field, but I want to work, help people and do some community work and get out of this bubble and say, you know, these people need my help. And also I wanted to be also a mentor to others. And that's what I'm doing now. You know, I'm trying to be mentored to other students or youth who are in the middle of their career or beginning of their career. And also, yes, absolutely, you need to, and especially one thing, Marines, you know, we had, we, we once discussed it. Also, the fact that my country, Morocco, it's we have a person who really has been pushing the youth really father, which is like the, the one who governs Morocco, the king of Morocco, like, he, he is a source also of inspiration. It's not because he's a king, but because he's a person who has inspired many youth in Morocco to actually by, you know, working hard on developing, empowering women, empowering youth, building capacities, trying to bring those international organizations to come to Morocco and work in the field and working on the economic and social development. So I think it was it's always good to talk about it and say, you know, you know, my country is really doing a lot because of a person who believes in, in his people, you know, and he gives mm-hmm. he gives power to people. So it's, it's it's also something really important. Like that's why I came. This is among the reasons I came to Morocco. Like I lived for in the United States for a couple of years where I taught Arabic and culture in the East and North Africa. But when I saw all this progress, like whenever I come to Morocco, I say, you know, I have to come back. And I felt that my country needed me more than the United States because I got a lot, lot of great things from the United States, but I wanted to, to be back to help or to be part of these people who would like to see the, you know, their, their home country moving. So let's shift now to, so you, you taught you came to the U.S. and taught, and somehow you went back and got a Ph.D. and focused on the Sahara conflict. That's a mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's a big step. It is. I'm actually finishing it right now. Like next month, I will submit my Ph.D. So I'm done with it. And so, how did you pick the Sahara conflict? And what do you want to share with our listeners about, like, what are a couple of your key learnings and key impacts? Mm-hmm. When we talked before, you talked about specifically conflict resolution and some things that you thought that every person should take away from that work that you've done. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, what I why I, I decided to work on this conflict is also from something I lived, you know, when I was in the United States, I decided to go to Western Sahara to see, you know, I wanted to know what what's this conflict is on, like who are the protagonists and the history, etc. So what I found is, I found that it's as much as it is a complex 
conflict that is not cannot be resolved. I am I, I'm not sure whether it's not going to be resolved today or tomorrow because it's a politics. But what I saw something really important. I saw that I mean the population, the, the Moroccan Sahrawis who live in in, in, the, in the south of Morocco, they actually they're not left behind. There was a huge. Uh, program, social economic program that actually didn't put these people behind and now they have everything they want from, you know, from the south to, to from the north to the south and they have justice, culture, education, etc., etc. So it's really something really that I wanted to share with others. I tell them, listen, I mean, politics is politics, but these people are not left behind and also something in like what is happening in Tindouf in southwestern Algeria, where people are living in tents and their temperatures waiting for the conflict to be resolved, but they need to decide, they need to, to actually meet with their brothers and sisters in western Sahara, because they say that Sahara is not Moroccan, that's fine, this is their opinion, but they have to talk to others, because to other Sahrawis, because they have the same culture, the same uh, tradition, the same thing, so they have to meet and sit down and talk, and I believe that through culture and tradition and conversation and dialogue, I think these conflicts can be resolved. Something I'm trying to explain, how can we transform this conflict into an opportunity? Instead of waiting for it to be resolved, let's come and sit down and talk about what's what unites us rather than what divides us, and that's why I'm trying to, to achieve. And I've actually, I've actually during my career, I gave uh, uh, a lot of talks and trainings to the like the European Council uh, to youth coming from conflict zone, and that's why I'm trying to explain to them: you have to transform the conflict into an opportunity rather than resolve it. Transform it into an opportunity. And what is an opportunity? Is to dialogue with the other. See what is coming between us and try to solve it otherwise. You know, there, there's some interesting correlations. I talked to the former Prime Minister of Greece, George Papandreou, and his his time leading the country of Greece, and how they built bridges with Turkey. And similarly, mm-hmm. finding opportunities to be in support of one another, even if, in your case, it looks like the cultures are similar, in both cases, the the countries have reasons to be at odds, and we can question politics. I don't want to do that. But finding uh-huh. those places of commonality and need for building on uh, shared human interest. Yeah, and that's actually, the thing is, like, we shouldn't leave these people behind. And that's what actually the King of Morocco is doing. He's transforming conflict into an opportunity and trying to take the natural resources and make the, these populations benefit from the natural resources of these territories. And he's calling all the time, you know, he's calling, you know, the others who live in Tindouf to come and sit down with their brothers and sisters and talk because he said, you know, the solution is not in my hands, it's in your hands. You have to see what, what device it. The United Nations can resolve it as it cannot, it might not resolve it. But let's take the step up and try to solve it otherwise, using other means. I believe that that's why important, like, sports, culture, education, traditions are important means in diplomacy. Like, can, can help, can help at least make people come together. You know, if, if something is not resolved, but they can come together, at least they can come and sit down and talk. You know, it's it's interesting in a time where there are differing points of view, and maybe this has always been the case, on the emphasis of diplomacy over harder government intervention and how citizens can make a significant impact that it doesn't have to be formal government organizations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. So you've taken a role as a citizen, and also you've been involved in the UN. Can you talk first about the UN role you've taken? Well, the UN, I go uh, with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Morocco, where I think, you know, as a role of a researcher, and I give talks, like I give seminars about the conflict. I try to sensitize the international community about the conflict. And also, uh, I give talks in the General Assembly, you know, how important that is to actually for our 
you know, those officials to bring these people together. And that's why I'm, tr- I'm struggling. I'm trying to sensitize them about the problem and not say, you know, Morocco is to blame, Algeria is to blame, the Polisario is to blame, but I'm here to tell them that they have to unite. They have to sit down and see, sit down with the real protagonist and not having others interfering in the conflict and who are not involved in the, in the conflict, but also interfering. So that's what I'm trying to do, basically, and trying also to meet with other associations, NGOs at the UN to, you know, have partnerships with them. You have a lot of misunderstanding. Misunderstanding about the history. Misunderstanding about uh, what the uh, international say, what does the human rights level say. In every conflict, be it the Kosovo conflict or Russia, or any conflict in the world, you have to sensitize them about the truth. And that's what I'm trying to sensitize the international community about the truth. Historically, what does the international community, what does the international law say? We have to really Morocco in these conflict zones and how Morocco is treating the, the conflict and also the human rights side. So I think it's very, and that's what I'm trying to do in every session I go to at the UN. It's on a couple levels fascinating. One, the question of the the work you're doing and how important it is, not only in the Saharan conflict, but also at building the research around how are we Uh as a human species able to resolve conflicts that will have evolved over history will continue to erupt over probably the rest of our history as human beings or the rest of our future as humans. Uh-huh. So having a capacity and a set of tools to bring those to closure peacefully and more more quickly seems incredibly important for us to live peacefully. Yeah, and also uh, how I got into this, I didn't get into this like by just reading or only reading and researching. I've traveled to many countries all over the world and I try and interviewed more than 30 personalities and officials, researchers who participated in the conflict, who are part in the conflict. It took me four years to do this, just uh, the interviews. I went to the United wow. States, to the UK, to Geneva, to France, to, I've interviewed people on step, so I've conducted like a thorough research so that for me, I can understand it from the from the sources, from the people who are involved in the, in the in the conflict, be it diplomatically, culturally, politically, in all the levels, and I gathered all these interviews, and and it it does help me in my in in the work I'm doing regarding this conflict. And so, as we think about the work you're doing now, what does your future hold? Do you think? Well, the future is actually, I would love to, to continue living in Morocco and work with international organizations overseas, especially in the United States, because I'm not going to forget what the United States has brought me as, as a person. Like, I believe that the United States is and will be my second home after Morocco, because when you, I learned something, when you leave a blueprint, in the United States, especially with the people with whom I worked, they don't forget about you, and they are so recognizing, like they recognize your efforts, etc. So I would like to continue this exchange of thoughts, exchange of ideas, activities, etc., between my home country and the United States, and also live in Morocco and, and work with the community, trying to be a mentor and trying to help the youth, especially youth, helping them, telling them, you know, it's not, it's not because you come from a your poor background or very, very modest background that you're not going to have a future. You can have a future, but you need to study. It's something, and I, and I tell them as, you know, I give them as an example, my example, and they, they can be inspired. So it's something I would like to, to work on and also connect uh, Moroccan NGOs with international NGOs so that they can work for, the, for, for any cause, be it the culture, be it human rights, be it in all the levels. And the opportunity I got through Global Ties, being nominated as a chair of the Council of International Members, is is an incredible opportunity for me. Like I say, you know, the doors are open for me, and I would love my country to benefit from this opportunity. And also, it's vice versa, you know, it's vice versa. So this is how I see my, my future continue as a cultural ambassador to my country, and vice versa, and tell to the world, who are the Americans? Because there is a lot of misconceptions about of the Arab world from the Americans, like of the Americans. 
you know, of all what is happening, the war, some, like, some people connect, for example, what is happening in Iraq on anywhere, not only to the officials, but also the people, which is wrong, which is wrong. It's really, uh, my goal is to show that who the American people are. So, um, it's, it's, this is how I, I would like to see myself in, in now and in the future. So it sounds like you are continuing to give back to the roots of your mom being a teacher, that you'll continue to teach, but that you're also building... Otherwise, otherwise, not, not in the classroom, <laughs> not in the classroom, but otherwise. And building on the, the gifts that all of those mentors who came before you gave you... Mm-hmm. And then also building on the opportunity of Global Ties and the people that you connected with through that program. Yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. I would like to also make people here benefit, like why not? They deserve They deserve to be also be, have the opportunity to go to the United States and learn about the people and also have the Americans come here and learn about the Moroccans and vice versa and continue uh, working on the cause, the Moroccan Sahara, and meet and sensitize people about it be it at the UN or the international community. Also, I would like to expand also my network with the, with the journalists because I believe the media is the fourth, you know, it's, it's a very important tool for us to be connected with the media because they are also, they can be part of conveying the message to the community. So I think it's very, very important. Yeah, I want to comment to that. I, I realize that most of my work is not media, but in this capacity, I love that I'm able to share your story globally, that I'm able to share other stories where through the traditional media, we often hear the stories that are paid for by advertisers and supported by executives. Uh And yet now we have opportunities for individuals in a non-traditional media outlet to start meeting one another in ways that just probably don't make sense in a you know in a media enterprise that's uh-huh. that's commercially funded so yeah absolutely yeah. so I'm, I'm delighted to be able to share your story it, it is part of what my personal commitment is in doing this work it is in your case and with the global ties conference really to highlight brilliant international people and the contributions they're making outside of the u.s that kind of weaves all of us as a human species together to promote a healthier experience for all people across the planet, which is just... I agree. Mm. I feel like that's a little optimistic, maybe, <laughs> given some of our... No, it's, it, I think it's, it's, it's a very important what you're doing, Maureen. You have a great number of like, listeners and whoever, and a journalist, say, if you would like to say, for example... Uh, research on, you know, I don't know, the Sahara Cause, you will just type Sahara or conflict or, I don't know, Morocco, U.S., and you will just pop into your the interview that we're having. So I think it's very important what you're doing. It's uh, it's really, really important to reach out to the others. And for me, it's, it's a great opportunity. I mean, for me, it's a privilege to, to talk to you as an American and also since this, this is part of also my, of my job, you know, just to connect to people from different fields, be they, you know, what you're doing and or the journalist or we should open opportunities to everyone, I believe, you know, everyone. So, so yeah, that's what I believe in. So hopefully you and I will be speaking somewhere soon on how to bring our peoples together to create a different kind of coexistence that is understanding of conflicts and supporting of the human people outside of politics who mostly are Absolutely. want to raise their families and and have a good quality of life and focus on the things they value and many of us are not so political so i'm going to bring us mm-hmm. to a close thank you and i do hope we are on a stage together soon for our listeners thank you for joining us we are coming to you from the global ties conference and specifically what i hope you take away from today is the inspiration that here are folks from Tanzania and from Morocco who have had brilliant successes 
successes that many of us could not imagine. Yasmin working with the UN on a, a significant conflict and Rebecca impacting the Supreme Court of Tanzania and changing the marriage age for girls from 14 to 18, which makes a dramatic impact for many people across the country. And so the commonalities of both of these young women, interesting that there are women in countries that are where women have to work harder in many cases culturally, and they have made amazing successes relatively early in their careers. And they both came from modest families and both with women as role models. So those are the commonalities that I have heard. And my invitation to all of our listeners is, what do you take away from the content of their conversations about the importance of human rights and the importance of understanding people and resolving the conflicts that they face in a way that's peaceful and diplomatic? And also, what do you learn from them as people that is inspirational that you can take away and practice in your own life? Certainly, I heard perseverance and belief in the human spirit, that we can move beyond the challenges we face, no matter how daunting they look, to create a world that is better not only for our families, but our communities and countries. So, Yasmin, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Maureen, and I look forward to talking to you in another meeting. So I'm available anytime, you know, you would like me to be part of your wonderful talk show. Thank you. thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. And uh, seriously, I do want to connect. Next time you're in the U.S., I'll come meet you. And or I'll come to Morocco and speak if you want. I would love to. Okay, I'll I'll keep it in mind. (laughs) Okay, I I realize it's not like I'm just going to pop over on an hour-long flight. No problem. No, not at all. Not at all. We'll find find a way. (laughs) Okay. You'll be a great asset, I'm sure. Thank you so much, Maureen, and speak to you soon. Keep in touch. Thank you, Yasmin. You too. You're welcome. Take care. Yeah, have a wonderful evening. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.